Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Tap Calf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast that gives you 70% of your daily necessary fiber. I am your host. Wait, for the how, day. what percent? 70%. We got to get that extra 30. Well, we got it depends on how how big the book is. Like this, you actually get closer to 100%, but if it's only like two to 300 pages, then there's only like 60% of your fiber. Dude, if you eat all of the, a book, you're definitely getting like 1,000% of your monthly fiber. Okay. Well, you get a lot of fiber if you eat the books. That's yeah. That is the tap calf transmissions Promise. medical recommend or medical recommendation. Let's not. Let's not. That's no, too far. We're gonna get. For, gonna please get do none of that. Nobody eat the books. Did you ever see the video of? Um, I think it was Ty Domi, an NHL player, and there was a fan who squirted water at him in the penalty box, and he uh, he climbed over the the he climbs out of the penalty box in the stands and starts beating the guy. And uh, the announcer goes, watch the lawsuit, Ty. That's kind of <laughs> what I just imagined just there. Because right. you're about to get us sued. Nobody nobody sue us. We are not a medical advice podcast. Uh, don't eat your Kindles especially. That's Ooh. zero. None of your no fiber, fiber there. But, uh, a lot but of yeah. electricity, though. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Justin Eckhart's Ladder. How are you doing, Justin? Not bad. I'm excited for Bad Batch tonight. Um, So I do want to... It was my fault we're recording this late. I just wasn't ready. Um, Even though Corey managed to read the book in two days, I just wasn't ready. Um, It's a long book. It's better if we let people have a chance. Like you as the everyman on this podcast is kind of our barometer for what's reasonable to read a book in even though you have i don't know like i think i'm a fast else. reader even like i consider myself a fast reader but you're just next level like but uh but yeah i, I do think it's better for the viewers and the readers to have more than two days as well so well the I way i do it is i skip every other chapter so there's some blanks you'll have to fill in for me no they're really there are no <laughs> blanks in this book i think you'll get most of it uh no so we'll get to all of the thrawn discussion but tonight at uh, 3 a.m. Eastern, we are going to be doing a special, technically not Tapcalf presentation, but with all of the Tapcalf hosts, we're going to be watching The Bad Batch. You can watch it along with us. It's like having friends. Uh, so you won't, we won't be actually streaming the episode. You'll have to have Disney Plus yourself. There's obviously mm. legal reasons to do this. Mm. Uh, but if you want to listen to us talk about it as it happens... There will be that. Plus, on Thursday this week, we will be having our regularly scheduled episode talking about uh, the Bad Batch first episode, breaking it down how we normally would here. Mm-hmm. Today... Yeah, the stream tonight's not being uploaded, so or not being uploaded to podcast sites. So if you guys yeah. want to... If you're a listener and you want to see our kind of live reaction, then you're going to have to come to YouTube. Yeah, so uh, a lot of Tapcaf stuff coming this week. A lot of important Star Wars stuff with Star Wars Day tomorrow. Before we get mm-hmm. into our main topic of discussion tonight, which is Thrawn Greater Good... Uh, anything else you want to bring up? I think there was uh, Heart of the Jedi. Yeah. Was a... yeah, so a lot of people have been emailing us about... I imagine, did you get... Did people flag this for you too? Like, uh, I, I, I the people, people who email TapCalf mm-hmm. did. Uh, um, but I don't think I've had so anyone bring it up on my channel. There's a lot of lost Star Wars books. Um, StarWarsTimeline.net has a good list of them, but one of them is called Heart of the Jedi, which was to be set around the like right after Endor, so sort of Truce of Bakura era, um, and it just for whatever reason I don't think anybody really knows the exact reason other than that the overall plan changed. Um, the book was never released, and it was written I think ninety two or ninety three, so kind of right after like the Thrawn trilogy was big. Um, However, the manuscript largely survived. Um, somehow and, the manuscript has returned. <laughs> yeah, somehow the manuscript has returned and was actually edited and put together and released for free on um, StarWarsTimeline.net. And now, kind of funny enough, people are actually bootlegging it on Amazon. Somebody went, Corey, can you stop flipping my webcam around, please? Yes. I'm making me feel I was going to I was going to make you face the other way but then I didn't like it very much cuz then we're it's like we're looking at each other instead of both of us looking off somewhere to the right. Yeah, I got to maybe fix my screen setup. But anyway, um what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Uh so they're basically somebody actually went this is not the first time but someone went and made a really nice uh 
think it's a hardcover um, book on Amazon um, with like full art and stuff. Um, some of the arts repurposed, some of it's Photoshop, but it looks really good. Kind of just like another Bantam release from back in the day. And you can actually buy it. By the time you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you can't buy it because I imagine Amazon is like hours away, perhaps, or maybe days away from removing it um, at Disney's request. Because it is essentially a bootleg. It's being sold um, at cost, apparently, I heard, um, which is really the only ethical way to do that. So we're um, we're not recommending people go and buy this, right? Oh, I bought we, it. We no, should. No, you should buy it. Why wouldn't you? I, I was just I was I'm not breaking the law. Deniability there. What I? I ain't no sin for Amazon <laughs> or Disney. Listen. If you want to buy it, if you want it in your bookshelf, that's basically why I want it. Like when if we do read it on Tapcap, I'll probably read it on my Kindle, but I do kind of want it on my bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just don't take me yeah. to reader list. No. Uh, yeah. So we will probably cover that at some point. I don't know when we would, mm. but uh, I actually wanted before we get into this too much, I wanted to fire up the uh, fire up the pod bean here for a second and. Uh, take a look at our episode count because i'm not we're at this is episode 61 right bad batch is going to be episode 62 mm-hmm. uh then there's an so important you're saying number we should do young stars for 69 or uh lost stars for 69 well we could do that that would be fun but i'm thinking for episode 66 we should do the revenge of the sith novelization i like right? that yeah because I, like I don't know that there's going to be anything uh, showing up in that time. Like we're kind of open on where we are in the books right now. We finished Callista. We've got the Bad Batch episode, which we can space however we want. Like mm-hmm. if we say the next novel we're going to do, like full length novel, is Revenge of the Sith. That probably lines up pretty well with mm-hmm. episode sixty six. Is this something you are willing to commit to before moving yes. on to Crystal Star? Yes. yes. All right. Here we go. Yep. All right. So yep. everyone knows what we're going to be reading next. Do you want to jump into our good friend, uh, Senior Captain Lakinda here, and our discussion? Dude, do not ask me any names. I'm not even joking. Like, I, I'm, Are you saying that Lakip, Lakuviv, Lakinda, uh, Lakfro, uh, Lakansu, like these weren't all so, names that you could be introduced know, to at the same time? I know time some macro to... because he's so sassy. Yeah, um, and his name is different from almost anyone else's yes. in the book, and that's important. We never met him at the same time as meeting thirty other people with the Sam, like or Saw. Well, let's go through part. the the uh, the list of characters in the book. So we've got Thrawn, of course, Mithra Naroto, Admiral Aralani. You probably know who she is. We've got Thalius, who is the what's her official? I know, I know what she does. What's her? She helps the navigators. She's like but... console, or she's a caregiver. Right, uh, we have uh, Syndic Thurfian, who's like one of the higher ups in the myth family. We have Mid Captain Samacro, who is the captain of the Springhawk until um, until Thrawn comes and basically assumes command of that ship. Um, we have General Bakif, who is a very high ranking member. He's of the, the supreme he's the general. supreme commander, I think. Or so yeah, there's Supreme General Bakif and Supreme Admiral Jafosk, and that those are right. the only two of those. So mm-hmm. they're the they're the head honchos. I'm not sure exactly what the distinction is between like what the purview of one is versus the other. I don't know that it really goes into that. Maybe even the, maybe it did a bit in uh, Chaos Rising, but mm-hmm. it's not really. Also, of course, guys, spoilers. By the way, um, I, we should say that more often when we start. Oh um, yeah, if you haven't read this book yet, we are going to spoil the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm about to spoil it in like two minutes. Um, we have Ch- uh, Cherry. Or Sherry, who's the Skywalker, the Navigator. We've got the Magus, who's just the Magus. She's just this, like, matriarch of the species. Uh, we have Counselor Lakuvik, um, who's like... What planet is he on again? Uh, they're on Chellis. Chellis, right. Um, and then we have Rancher Lakfro, who's on the same planet. Then we Maybe have Selvis. Yo- yeah, right. Selvis, yeah. Uh, we've got Yoponek, who's like this... Uh, He's basically this love-struck teen. He's kind of a simp, like, right? So, um. <laughs> but just before you continue with this, you listened to the audiobook, right? Yeah. So, yeah. was it, did they say Selwis or Chelwis? They said Selwis. 
And did they say Scylla or Chilla? They say Chilla. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're both. It's like you got both the hard and the soft. Well, it's just the the readily S, available. I think is what changed it. So like Chilla, yeah. Chapla. I don't know how it's Chapla. Yeah. Um, we've got Yoponek, who, as I said, is, is the the kid, and then we've got uh, Kiori, who's the the navigator from last book. We see him a little bit. He's not really super important in this one. Uh, then we've got Jixtus with the probably the least surprising twist of all time. He is in fact a Grisk agent. Yep. And then uh, Halfleaf, who is uh, his uh, egg buoy. Um, he's kind of like his servant. Like he's kind of got him under his yoke. He's he's always kind of getting him to do more and more shit. So, isn't he Grisk as well? Though, isn't the egg buoy like just made up bullshit and they're all Grisk? Or is Jixtus the only Grisk? I think so. I thought Egg Bowie, because Egg Bowie, like, doesn't know what... He talks about not knowing what Jixtus looks like. Hmm. Yeah, but, like, like I could be talking to a human that, and be like, I don't know what they look like. Yeah, but no, he didn't know, like, what he looked like as a species, though. Okay. He, was, like, he didn't even know if he was humanoid, I think. So, I think Shimlar... Egg, I think Egg Bowie and... were kind of, like, under the yoke of the... Well, or at least those Egg Bowie. I forget, I forget the other one. Um... Chim Criff or something. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But um, like I, I feel like he because he keeps talking about how how they owe him something. Right. They owe Jixtus something. Um. Yeah. So I don't think they were. Uh, they could be though. I could be wrong. Yeah. No. I think I think you're probably right. But uh, mm. this this does leave out a lot of the random characters who actually play a bigger role or take up more screen time than a lot of the characters that are actually in this mm-hmm. uh, in this breakdown. But yeah. Also, I just checked the egg buoy. They do have a description, a physical description. They don't look like Grisk because we see okay. Grisk and yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. But uh, yeah, so we get. We do get more connections to Outbound Flight more explicitly stated here. Because I think uh, there was some stuff that was more hinted at in in, uh, Chaos Rising, rather. So Mm -hmm. here we get like the more explicit mentions of Thras and uh, the Vagari technology that Thrawn stole. Yeah, the the shield stuff as well. uh, Yeah. How they use prisoners as shields. Yeah, so there's a lot of like implication that if you do read Outbound Flight right before this, you kind of, it does connect. Yeah, uh, we got a good question about that that we can talk about at the end of the episode, yeah. I think. Some details do change because on the next page here and throughout the book, you get a lot of talk about the royal families or the ruling families, and they are different than what you get in Legends, mm-hmm. including in the uh, in Outbound Flight. So the nine ruling families, we have Uvsa, Eritzi, Dasklo, Klar, Chaff, Pleek, Boadil, Myth, and Obik. And... Mm-hmm. Some of what those line up see in the myth in this one who are like, sorry. Yeah, really they're kind big. of the main ones. Yeah. Uh, we do have Chaff carrying over, Myth carrying over, but there mm. are a bunch of others that used to be ruling families that changed. And that's one of my, the weirdest things, I think, to change, because I feel like uh, Timothy Zahn probably had a lot of leeway with that. But I also mm. think getting rid of the Naroto is something that he wanted to do. So it wasn't Thrawn having like last name, then the Raw, and then another family yeah. name. So... Yeah makes sense yeah, i like the naming convention the way they have it now i think it makes sense although sometimes i'm like oh someone takes a new family i'm totally gonna predict the name that they get and i just am wrong every time i got it with zyinda but i was thinking like oh that's gotta be uh he's he's gotta be avoiding that somehow because none of the other names end up having like the the being kind of that weird but mm-hmm. then she confirms the next day like i, I like, want that to be exotic. my name yeah because yeah. a lot of the names, it seems like uh, they were made up in that order of having like the the like core name decided, and then he'll expand on that, or at least he'll know what the uh, core name will be from the family name, and then making up the middle mm-hmm. part. So it's something that makes sense. But then you have uh, Lakinda, where that sounds good with the lack, but then he's already got the Eritzi kind of having the Z I. So it, it doesn't quite work as well when you're transferring the names. Yeah, yeah. Because what was Thrawn's original name? We got that in Chaos Rising, but I forgot. Yeah, um, we did. Let me look it up. It was like, no. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a Kivu Ra Kivu Ra Nero. 
I don't know. So wait, why does he get the Odo? Is that when he becomes a a different level of family? Because for a while, so he's Kivaranuro, and then he becomes Mithranuro, and then he gets the Odo at the end. What is yeah, that? Yeah, I think mean? that's when he became a trialborn, but I forget mm-hmm. what the exact uh, reasoning for it was. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so we have good old Vuron, mm-hmm. but if you can't tell, this book is. It's not a traditional Star Wars book. Um, yeah. It's very it's very different. It's all about Chiss society, all about political maneuverings of the Chiss and stuff. Do you want to just talk about... Let, let's, I think, first of all, let's compare it to the last book because you really loved the last book, right? I, I did really enjoy it. And there are elements of this that I enjoyed, but I do think this is significantly weaker than that one in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I do think yeah, that kind of the difficulty of following just some of the names kind of comes through here and there's a lot yeah. of there's a lot of story threads that are going on and i understand it's the middle book of a trilogy so that's often is going it gonna to be, be a trilogy because i don't know how it's how they're gonna make it tr- like i think they're gonna need four books like yeah. i don't know well lesser evil i think is advertised as the last one of the of a trilogy so we'll mm. see what happens but it doesn't feel like for what happens in this book 400 pages and six different point of view characters was probably not necessary uh, yeah. like there's a lot of chapters where you're with, so in both of the books, the way it's set up is you have the kind of present day chapters and there's also the memories chapters. And I think in the first book, what they were doing with that, setting up the relationship with Thrawn and Arlani, uh, mm-hmm. I think that, that worked out really, really well. enjoyable. Yeah. yeah. But in here, the memories chapters are hapliff of the egg buoy, who is this kind of grisk agent trying to make his way into just society, trying to find the cracks in it. And you have the modern day story of the egg buoy of hapliff kind of working his way into chiss society but you also get like how he got to that point through the older thing uh it's through the memory chapters too, because it's not immediately yeah it was well it, the problem is it's like it is immediately before what's going on now and it's just how he became friends with uh Yipponic. yeah i mean it's not immediately evident like uh, like mm-hmm. the first time i heard the care i was like which one of these is the memory because like i wasn't sure right. which came because audiobook you know? would make that a lot more confusing i guess yeah and part of the problem, too, is you can't see uh, their plans really start to crystallize until the very end. Mm-hmm. So it's like a lot of this book, like a lot of the chapters with the egg buoy are literally like they're trying to get these chiss because they basically are trying to infiltrate chiss society. That's kind of what they do. Like they infiltrate mm-hmm. societies and then they screw it up and they, they cause the civil war on one planet and they're trying to cause the chiss to go into a big war to destabilize them. And um, But like... It's hard to see where that's going to come. I will say when it actually does come together, it's very satisfying, I thought. And I'm like, oh, okay. But um, for the beginning part, it's like they spend a lot of time like going to like across just planets, going to like bird watching festivals and stuff. And you're like, where are they going with this? And it's kind of hard to follow. Yeah, like I do think the... Uh, if you just keep the kind of present day chapters with Hapliff and maybe even just have one memories chapter about going back to meeting Yapona Kinyomi, uh, yeah. who's this young Chiss couple that are on their, their gap year after college or before college, uh, traveling the ascendancy and they want to go watch some bird migration. So there's a lot of like, these two just want to go see bird migrations and Hapliff wants them to tell him about Chiss society so they can make their way into it. Uh, I feel like you don't need all of that because it doesn't really reveal all that much about Chiss Society. I feel like you could get no. everything you get out of those from the present day ones without quite as much extra. And then you could maybe use those chapters for something else or just have the book be slightly tighter than it is. Because uh, I do enjoy the parts that are uh, just kind of explaining what Chiss Society is. I do think that can be interesting and at least useful for me personally. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that it's set up there, that's probably where it kind of goes over the edge from, uh, probably, I assume, for a lot of people. I think uh, Alex, Star Wars Explained, kind of felt similarly that it gets a little meandering. Yeah. Uh, another problem, and this I've noticed is pretty common with the new Thrawn books, um, there's a lot of time spent going back and forth between places. Like, So in this case, there's really three ships you follow. Um the Gray Strike, the Springhawk, and the is it the Vigilance? Vigilance, Ar- yeah, Arlani. Vigilance, yeah, Arlani ship, yeah. Thrawn ship, and Lakinda ship. Yeah, so a lot of it is the ships going somewhere, you know, seeing something, having a small skirmish or whatever. Um, you know what I mean? It's just like 
Yeah. It's just, uh, like, I feel like maybe these books need to be a little more tightly edited or something. Yeah. Um, There's... I, I, I got... Um, so when we decided that we were going to move the podcast to Monday, I needed to take like a couple of days off from reading this because I was just yeah. yeah. So there's there's the basically you get chapters from the point of view or from the kind of following Arlani, Thrawn, mm-hmm. Lakinda, Hapliff. You get the memories chapters with Hapliff as well. Uh, you get uh, some captain, chapters with Lakuviv. Uh-huh. Yet, well, with. The captain on the unthrawn ship. Uh, yeah, but I, I kind of grouped that together because that's kind of the same storyline. Basically, Even, Thrawn, yeah. Yeah, so there's the Hapliff ones. There's the Lakuviv, Counselor Lakuviv. There's also like two chapters with Thurfian and Zestalmu, who are these which two. Were, which were fun, I thought. Yeah, they were they were a bigger part of the first book, and I assume they're going to be a bigger part of the second book. They're basically members of the Myth family, which is Thrawn's family, and the Aritzi family, which is another major Chiss family that is kind of rivals of the Myth family, and they're trying mm-hmm. to discredit Thrawn. And mm-hmm. so they're kind of like the internal conflict for Thrawn, whereas, which was set up in the first one, and the second book is more about setting up the external conflict with the Gris coming in. But they're so sidelined in this that, at like... When you start off with Zestalmu in particular, I forgot like mm. who the hell that was, and then I yeah, remember Thurfian. But there's just there's so many different threads that don't really go anywhere for a while. So you're jumping back and forth in these kind of middling plots for all of them, and mm. it takes until after page three hundred out of four hundred before anything starts to really come together. Yeah. But... One another problem I had is we had a lot of different aliens thrown at us. Um... Because, like, we've got Jixtus, we've got, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Yiv the Benevolent from last time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, you just don't really know, like, exactly how, it can be confusing and a bit overwhelming, like, how they're all interacting and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the Yagbui as well. Until uh, the final battle, pretty much all of the kind of military action is just looking for and trying to clean up the Nicardin from the last book. So yeah. we do get a couple battle scenes with, like, uh, helping the potatoes, which were the uh, one of the allies species now for Thrawn, uh, who are still kind of like under the under the thumb of some uh, leftover warlord remnants of Yiv the Benevolence and the Cardoon forces. So Arlani's kind of looking for the last remnants of them. She doesn't really do anything in this book. Uh, then they find yeah. like the Magus, who are uh, her species got kicked off their planet Sunrise, which uh, the specifics of what's going on there don't get really resolved in this book either. Uh, she Seems like there was the Egg Bowie book. engineered some sort of, uh, some sort of yeah. war. But the book kind of ends before there's any kind of... Before, like, you get towards the end of that plot, but once the battle's done, the battle's done, and we don't really see... Like, I feel like you could have taken that one step further in this and maybe found out mm-hmm. what's going on at least from their side in it because uh, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was left a little bit unresolved mm-hmm. no yeah i agree um yeah it's it's like one thing that i was also expecting is given that this is the second book in a trilogy um i did think the chists were going to go into some form of civil war or at least take some loss um and they don't thrawn kind of comes in and saves everything at the last moment um I was a bit surprised by that. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the weird things with the book where like there was a lot of the, a lot of the battles were kind of set up as like, Oh, this is actually a fake battle being put on as a show. And then the, the last battle is them kind of turning that around and doing that to the other chiss. But so many of the battles seem to be that where mm. it's everyone being like one step too clever in that way. Yeah. Uh, and we actually get a comment from Lakinda that I thought was kind of weird about how... Uh, I'll see if I have my note on it here. But we have her talking about like how Arlani and Thrawn are so good. Uh, and it's something about how... Uh, it's kind of the... I don't know if you've seen Princess Bride mm-hmm. with Vizini and the, the poison. It's like, well... I know you know uh, 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Who, it's you just, it's it? more like, it's more alluding to, like, yeah. It, it's, like, too much meta stuff happening, like, in the book, where it's, like, or not really meta, I guess. There's just too much tell than not show, you know? Like, I want to figure this stuff out as a reader as well, not just, like, see the characters figure it out. Well, even then, it's just the way that Lakinda is talking about it is, like, this is why Thrawn and Aralani are so good. Where it's, like, no, they're just thinking, like, literally one step beyond the obvious and mm. to to Lakinda, this is so impenetrable that someone would be acting on information knowing that the enemy has the information that they're kind of subverting and mm. it's like uh, it shouldn't this be kind of basic for you is this why you're so bad at everything yeah it's a Thrawn's actually not that good and it's just like the rest of the chests are just kind of dumb <laughs> well there's also the thing where uh like in Legends, especially earlier on or in NJO, uh, like the way Zon initially sets them up and the way they kind of get developed, where it's like, oh, they're super serious. They take everything very seriously in their families, mm -hmm. uh, family and honor, everything. But uh, in this book, like they're basically exactly like humans. There's a lot of them that are uh, cracking jokes and everywhere. But uh, yeah. at some point, it's, someone it's says a farmer like, is basically just a human farmer. Yeah. And so it's like never in all those missions said he met a single blue skin with even a shred of humor. So is it just that they don't present themselves that way to outsiders now? It could be. Or could be, yeah. are, are they just kind of like playing off of this old perception of the Chiss that hasn't really survived the, the move? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, the, the Chiss definitely are very secretive to like outsiders because we see with like the whole Chilla thing. But I don't know. Um, that's a good question. It's, I mean, it, in this, uh, in the new canon too, the Chissar, the Unknown Regions arguably is even more kind of distinct and different than the rest of space because, like, there's mm -hmm. very little interaction um, with lesser spaces, they call it. Um, right. Yeah. And we do get kind of some hints to the fact that, like, the Chiss had been involved with the stuff in, like, the mm -hmm. Tor era. So yeah. some of that even gets pulled into the new canon here. And that's kind of in a weird spot where it could yeah. kind of go either way. Uh, we'll, maybe the High Republic will resolve some of that a little bit more, and we'll see just how far inside or outside the lines that ends up. But yeah, it talks about like the Chiss taking part in some huge war and like maybe taking a hyperdrive. That's kind of like one of the theories um, that they took a hyperdrive back mm -hmm. because the Chiss don't have droids. The Chiss don't really use hyperdrive computers. I mean, they do somewhat, but not like advanced um, hyperdrive computers like they do in the rest of the galaxy. Um, yeah. Nav comps just seem like massive mm -hmm. improvements to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did notice too, there was a reference to the attendants, which were, um, which were like the ones that Snoke has on the supremacy. Mm -hmm. Those like purples, those purple guards. Oh, that was kind of cool. I don't think they might've been re me mentioned the last book. Now that I think about it though. Uh, we are getting questions from chat that normally we don't do this till the end of the sh end of the show, but uh, it has been brought up is sardonically overused in most of the book. There's actually no. zero instances yeah. of the word sardonic in the book. So yeah. another Soothed. another aspect of legends just fucking thrown out. <laughs> well, the Stomping classic Timothy's on Sooth, which is in this one a lot. Um, yeah. I didn't see any warbled either, which is no droids. Well, there's no, the, no droids, yeah. just don't have droids. So yeah. It's amazing to me that they've never once thought of the idea of like of droids, of anything droid like. Just what if this could move on its own? <laughs> yeah. Chess or dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll name this podcast episode. Uh what was my note here? Oh, so there there was something kind of interesting that was set up with the uh with the house fleet. So like we got the exposition mm. earlier on where uh, we know there's the Chiss Expansion Defense Fleet. We know the ruling families all have their own kind of like private fleets. Uh, mm -hmm. But what's established in this book is that the stuff used by each of the houses is actually kind of unique. It's not just the same ship classes as the mm -hmm. uh, as the CEDF, which may not seem like a big deal, but to me personally, at least that is because mm -hmm. uh, that that in particular is something that I end up having to pay a lot of attention to. Is like where do we get explicit distinctions between classes in Star Wars books for working on, like, mod stuff? Mm. Uh, so I thought that was really cool, where, like, the Zodlak have their 
uh, their old ships from like a hundred years ago when they were a ruling family used as yep. defense stations or one parked on their planet because they're not allowed to use it anymore. Yeah, that was kind of funny. So it's like if you were a ruling family, but you're not anymore, you get to keep your ships, but you don't get to do any like there's purely for defense. Like, yeah, because like the other the other ruling families can muster ships like at their will and presumably go do things. But um, otherwise, like if you're if, if you're in the the doghouse. You're kind of mm-hmm. screwed, except in one um, one sp- specific situation, which we do see in this book, where basically... So, like, the kind of end goal of all of these machinations is the they're trying to start a civil war among the Chiss based on this planet. Um, the Egbui have been kind of dropping hints. Well, they've been, been pretending to be completely clueless that they've got access to this really rare uh, resource that the Chiss and other factions in the Unknown Region use as uh, armor for their capital ships, um, or hull for their capital ships. So the whole plan is to... The egg we are looking for, like, one Chiss who is um, kind of bold enough, but also stupid enough to kind of help initiate this civil war. Um, and it kind of comes to a head. They all kind of arrive at the planet... And we see they, they kind of are using the weaknesses of Chiss society in that the Chiss are always holding themselves up as being super egalitarian and stuff. They say, like, oh, no family left behind. But in reality, it is these few families that are dominating everything. Um, so they kind of use that and the fact that all everyone who's a have-not wants to be in the, the club to kind of initiate this nearly kind of um, huge war, or at least a battle that would have left, led to a greater war. Um, and the way that kind of the, the minor families are getting fleets is they're using this kind of ancient, um, idea or this ancient law where in an emergency, you can basically draft your former ships into service and call your family members out from the regular ships expansionary fleet to, uh, Mm -hmm. to crew your ships and stuff. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. It's, it's like if, uh, a bunch of different local city councilors across Canada, got an email about how uh, if they give their bank information to someone mm-hmm. in Nigeria, they'll get a bunch of money, and they all fell for it. That's yeah. essentially the scam they're going for here, and it works. Yeah, I just kept thinking about, like, this guy, he thinks he's doing all these things, and he's going to make these big moves, when in reality, it's just like, you're a fool. Like, you're getting completely played by the egg buoy here. Yeah, I do like how it was handled with uh, Captain Lakinda where mm-hmm. there's a lot of her part of the book is focusing on how she kind of feels like she's in the shadow of Thrawn and Arlani. It's like, oh, Thrawn's not so great. And then she kind of comes to appreciate what his skills are mm-hmm. throughout the book. Uh, but she is... the When you join the Chiss Expansionary Defense Fleet, you're supposed to kind of give up family honor over... Supposed to. <laughs> supposed to, over the fact that you are now fighting for the Ascendancy as a whole. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, for her and for the Zodlak family, uh, that is something that they had trouble giving up because they were so recently a ruling family. So she's kind of looking for ways to bring more honor to the family. And she keeps thinking that Thrawn's successes and Thrawn's orders are kind of just there so that Thrawn can bring more honor to the myth. Uh, mm. And she ultimately ends up being in command of the Zodlak forces that are sent to this fake mine uh and is willing to work with Thrawn. She's kind of the only person there that sees like what we're doing is actually kind of really fucking stupid. And yeah. she even says when Lakuviv tells her, "Hey, take this ship and go get that mine." Like, does this not seem too good to be true to anyone else? Yeah. So, I guess props to her for coming around on that, but Yeah, she's like, "What are the chances that like these people have no clue like what they have?" I mean, to be fair, the uh, the counselor on the planet realizes as well, and she gets locked up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they just listened to her, then they would have saved themselves so much trouble. Mm-hmm. But, but we I mean, do- that's why they specifically went after somebody who they could manipulate and who had aspirations, but not the intelligence to back it up, really. Yeah, like Lacro cat- catches on. Uh, what was her name? Lacuninian? Lacuin? I don't know. Don't ask me names. Uh, but no, but yeah. Know. So the on the myth side of the family politics, we do get just those two or three chapters with uh, with Thurfian, and we find out 
that uh, the the patriarch of the myth family has died, and now Thurfian kind of jumps three ranks and yeah. just goes straight into being uh, the head of the myth family, which I thought was like that was a that was a big jump for you. you yeah, because he starts off the book just recently being um, what's the the one above Syndic? Um, uh, Syndic Prime. Yeah, so he becomes a Syndic Prime. Uh, and above that is speaker, and then above that is the uh, patriarch. Um, is that what they call it? patriarch? The, the... Well, it seems like there's two kind of. There uh, is a ranking in the in the book. I noticed. Yeah, but I think that's kind of two parallel ranks. Where speaker, I think, is a member of the uh, of the like legislative assembly of like all the representatives from the Chis families and worlds. Whereas there's the other rank that he was trying that right. he was potentially being offered, which is like the local governors. Yeah, you're uh, right. And he speaker, bypasses head of the either family of those. delegation, right? So the speaker probably has more of a role in like overall Chiss society, where the patriarch is like the family; they're managing the family itself. Yeah, and the uh, the one whose goal he thought he was, or whose job he was thinking he tried to get the speaker, uh, mm. she says, uh, "Well, none of us wanted to give up our power because we don't think that you'd be able to do our job properly right now." Mm-hmm. Uh, if one of us who were the likely choices to go to the next level did that. So instead, mm-hmm. we're just putting you up there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. So at the same time, it was both a vote of confidence and a complete vote of non-confidence in his... Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's an interesting character. Um, he kind of had a lot more to do with, like, Thalias in the last book, but... yeah. Well, we're still kind of building towards a conflict between some, or not conflict, but some sort of reckoning between Simacro and Thalius. You don't think it was solved at the end because he kind of came to the conclusion that she's probably not a spy. He decides she's probably not a spy, but it does seem like there's going to be some sort of, uh, some further discussion between the two of them on what's going on there. Because mm-hmm. like Thalius's role is more, or like the way she got there was more political, and now with the uh, with the patriarch gone and with Thurfian being the new patriarch, her position is going to be slightly different. Or like the reason she was sent there, which is to look after Thrawn, is going to kind of change. So whatever sway he had is not going to be helping her. So Simacro and Thrawn probably have to find out like why she's there, what she's doing, beyond just being a caregiver and her relationship with Cherry. Mm-hmm. Although she did kind of make her way out from under Thalius's influence at the end of the last book when she became a merit adopted or yeah, I think that was the rank she got. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, so there's also the offer that Lakinda got when she was done with uh, stopping the upfront civil war to join mm-hmm. the Zastamu, which we kind of talked about, or the Ritzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that'll probably be more political conflict between the myth and Ritsu. We'll probably get more into that. Uh, yeah. And the interesting thing about that is Arlani's Ritsu, right? Or... I think she was. She was, but she has to. Because her name was Ziara initially. Right. I think. But she had to, um, what's it called? Renounce it when she t- becomes a flag yeah. admiral or whatever. I-, I don't remember at what point she has to. I think when she becomes admiral, maybe. Because I remember there's a scene in the book where it's like, yeah, you don't get to be in your family anymore. Yeah, it's either Commodore or uh, or when she became Admiral. Because it's mm. at least a step above Senior Captain, which is what Thrawn is. Thrawn is, yeah. Still. Wasn't he... Was he Commodore for a while in the last book? Thrawn? I can't remember. Or no, uh, Arlani was Commodore, I yeah. think, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't remember if it was Commodore Ziara or if it was Commodore Arlani. But I think it was Commodore Ziara. So maybe it was when she got the, the flag rank. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't really remember. Um, I, there's not a lot of Thrawn in this book, really. No. No. Because, um, yeah, the story is kind of split in six ways. Um, six completely different ways, too. Where it's like we've got a couple of bad guy perspectives and, like, three different good guy or four different good guy perspectives. Mm-hmm. So... I would have liked to see more of Thalius, um, more of the Skywalker, and more of Thrawn, because I thought they had a fun kind of thing going. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope next book... Like, what's your hope for next book, I guess, is one thing I'm wondering. 
I do hope we get more of the characters together that we kind of got in the first book because like there's mm-hmm. the dynamic between Thrawn and Arlani that can be fun. There's the dynamic between Thrawn, Thalius, Sherry, and even Simacro I started liking more throughout this book. Like I think Simacro is kind of the character in this book that I most had an improved opinion of. Yeah, he was uh, interesting. Yeah, because like a lot of the other characters, they kind of just go through and are setting up for what ends up happening it's just lakinda who has like a major developing storyline mm-hmm. um so there, there's there's a lot to be resolved and a lot that i hope doesn't get left hanging but there there's a lot of lines to kind of come together there but yeah mm-hmm. I, I do hope we get more of those characters together so far there's been a lot of like uh, moments where either somebody has to choose thrawn or choose the their family over service and so far they've always chose service or they've got to choose um thrawn and his crazy tactics over you know whatever other options so far they've always chose you know the right thing um but I've, i'd say in next book we're going to see somebody whether it's a macro or somebody else kind of go the other way and presumably we're going to see thrawn expelled for whatever he does to resolve the situation but isn't he Next not time. actually well, expelled, yeah. though? He's kind of got it... the, the fake... The way that he was expelled from the Empire is kind of getting shifted to how he leaves the Chiss in New Canon. Right, where it's like he still seems to be working directly with them. Yeah, because like he, he sends uh, New Cardass to yeah. uh, to Aralani directly in right, her giant ship that's an upside down mark ross isn't that the vigilance is that vigilance or is, or is it the um i think it's a different ship what's thrawn having this one again is thrawn has spring hawk spring hawk which is a chiss heavy cruiser and then isn't, isn't there vigilance a strike is a... fast or something oh it is the spring hawk that's the that's the dick cruiser i think no it's i think it's strike no, fast not. is like the uh that's park's Formerly VSD, now Venerate. Right. It's the and Steadfast. Steadfast is Arlani's. <laughs> yeah, it's the the chess warship. Which what does she have in this? What class is the Vigilance now? It's, uh, it's, it's a... a Night Dragon Man of War, which right. we never get. Uh, we so never presumably the uh, the Steadfast is a bit of a downgrade. It seems. Well, that's the thing. It's so hard to tell with this book where they have these rough classifications, but there's never any scale indication we really get, other than gunboats being. Uh, like you, kind yeah, of fighter sized, fighter sized, because yeah. uh, they fight the battle dreadnought, which seems to be probably about the size of a uh, a dreadnought class heavy cruiser or something, because yeah. it, it talks about like the scale relative to the freighter, which maybe gives us an indication of uh, what size Arlani and Thrawn ships are. So maybe if, you like, can kind of tell Kara a bit versus... based on like the like it's like oh you know a ship of this size can take on ten fighters or like fifteen mm-hmm. fighters, but like... but even that is kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like the vigilant isn't like the vigilant's not bodying even like really small ships. So it's not certainly not like star destroyer size or anything. Yeah. We kind of know but, how many missiles they can hold, so maybe you extrapolate from the size of the missiles, but it is frustrating because it's like what do they call the enemy ship again? It's like the it's a battle dreadnought, right? Yeah. Like, cool, cool. What's that? <laughs> like it's they they're like the battle dreadnought's the same size as the night dragon men of men of war, and I'm like, yes. And which is <laughs> come on. I was like, could it could it possibly be? I was wondering if it was going to maybe be like if a star destroyer or something. Um, but they or like some imperial ship, but they never even describe what it looks like. It's like or one of the sentences. Yeah, like yeah. this ship had a length, and that length was yeah a number of meters. What number? <laughs> yeah, it's in the old Halo book. Sometimes they would use it would be frustrating because they'd give things by units. They would just say the ship was, especially like the covenant ships, they'd be like, it was 10 units long. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then they'd be like, they'd also use units for time and everything. Like, I don't know if that's an editing error where like, cause the audio books for the, the halo books are like kind of shit. Like there's at least once they'll say USNC or like there's in, which one is it? Uh, oh yeah. Um, first strike. It's like, there's a part where they've got two ships, a um, 
a pelican and a longsword. And the longsword survives and the pelican blows up. But then the next scene, it's like they fly the pelican around. It's mm-hmm. like, come on, get your editing right. Get your editing right. Like with this, it's almost certainly because as soon as you give a number, someone's going to find a problem with it. So you give whatever relative size works for it. But for people like us, that's not enough. We need a fucking number. I just want to point out as well, I'm not vaping. I'm chewing on my Sharpie. Someone said Jewel Heart's Ladder in the chat and it triggered me. (laughs) I don't vape. (laughs) You do fine, but I don't. (laughs) Don't tar me with that. I've got other dirty habits like chewing on markers, but... So do you want to give, uh, is there any other topics from within the book that you want to talk about? Or do you want to jump to our ratings and rankings and then into questions? Yeah, I can't but, think of a whole lot else. It was it was a boring book. Like, it was boring. See, I, I agree with long. that for a lot of it. I do think it was longer than it needed to be. I didn't dislike it. I still no, I, enjoyed yeah, I it generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it almost felt like watching a live stream version of reading a Star Wars book. <laughs> Where it's like, it's there, it's nice, nothing wrong with it, but like, I'm not going to go back and watch the the VOD of someone playing, uh, yeah, like just a random game that, like, GTA well, a really epic comparison there. I, well, um, I, I, wouldn't, I didn't think of anything that I could say that wouldn't feel like I was insulting someone we know, yeah. including ourselves. Yeah. But it was the background noise, a very good background noise, but there was a lot of background noise there i added on literally as background noise okay there you go (laughs) no i i I was paying attention i swear all right so do you want to do you want to give it a letter grade we still need to make the proper spreadsheet for this but after i finish my tournament i will make the spreadsheet that's a promise i'll do it I'll, i'll spend it i'll spend a few hours and do it um it's a b it's a B, I think, because it's it's really well written, and I do like the universe, and I think like this could not be a Star Wars book very easily. Like mm-hmm. even the usual weapons aren't the same. Like it seems like the Chiss are using actual lasers, yeah. like not turbo lasers, like actual lasers. Um, so like everything is just very very different. There's very little connection to the outside world in this one. The last one you you have a meet Anakin, and it slots in another book there. But yeah, for me it's a B because the universe isn't so well written, but it is it's. It could have been much more tightly edited. I think you could have had more at the end. You, like we had a hint at what's the the just super weapon or whatever. Uh, uh, the flash yeah, the, something. The flash flashbang. Um, yeah, it's like the last word in the book. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I I generally agree. I think I'm gonna put it as a a B as well. Uh, yeah. Probably like a, a solid mid B. So yeah. a lot of. A lot of fun interactions. I think it's got a... It's just not a thing where the most happens. And I'm looking forward to Lesser Evil. We're going to get Lesser Evil end of the... Or September, I think. Mm. Uh, So we'll be getting the final installment pretty soon. I think part of it was just that it it does feel like it's been so long since we actually read. Yeah, I was just about uh, to ask you. I I forgot a lot of the last book. Um, Yeah. Like that Navigator, I completely forgot pretty much everything about him. It's the Star Flash. Uh but but yeah like i remembered kilori generally as soon as they started talking about how they had a pathfinder i was like oh is that going to be him but then i forgot like exactly what his relationship with everyone was because i, I remember he was, like with ron for a while and then yeah like, yeah but like, i i i thought about going back and like rereading it but it was just so much to do in such a short amount of time and i didn't realize uh how obscure certain things would seem to me in recollection but, uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are going to get to our questions here. Uh, there was one that was part of a donation from Seer Smash Channel uh, that's about basically how it fits into both canon and legends, how some of these tie certain things together. Uh, particularly asking, uh, I've only read Thrawn from 2017 and loved how it was basically both canon and legends. Are the other four novels by Zahn similar in that regard? And that ties into another question. Um, both from Panos and from Steven, kind of asking a similar thing about uh, how this book may fit into both or how some of Zahn's ideas might fit into both. And particularly from Steven asking, 
uh, are saying it's like Zahn's created his own Zan cinematic universe that can exist separate from Legends or Canon. Uh, curious to hear your thoughts on that. So, what are your what are your thoughts generally or specifically on that point? Um, some of them, like these ones, are definitely more where they can fit in Canon and Legends. I think the first Thrawn book um, was pretty much a retelling of a lot of like what happened in legends um in that what was the what was the short story mist mist encounter mist, mist encounters the, like, yeah getting yeah like a lot of that was basically retold in the first thrawn book um but I, I found the later two of that trilogy kind of diverged a bit from legends and kind of stuck more strictly in canon um especially like thrawn being well, i guess you could you could fit some of the parts in it like thrawn there's no reason thrawn couldn't have met anakin and whatnot but um these but yeah these could have fit in their in the legends just fine i do think timothy's on is doing his own thing and i do feel like a lot of the thrawn storytelling is just going to be ignored when it comes to the thrawn shows or thrawn's presence in whatever show yeah there'll probably be some stuff that has to get reconciled there but i also think uh they're gonna they're gonna be more inclined to give zan a bit more leeway to kind of do his own thing as such a such an established author um the way I generally see it is like I wouldn't try to necessarily fit the stories directly into uh, legends that are being told in canon, but uh, the mindset that Zan is in, the general idea of what he's trying to tell, is probably similar to the direction he would have taken it in mm-hmm. when talking when doing legend stories. So uh, I think it's reasonable to kind of look at how Chiss society works, look at some of the broad strokes of what's going on, and say like, oh, this is probably what was going on in the background. This is how. Zan was kind of seeing what his characters were and uh, kind of reinterpreting or uh, looking at legends in that lens rather than necessarily saying on like this day of 19 BBY Thrawn went to this place and dealt with this person. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as that goes, they kind of, I I that's why I was a little bit surprised they actually gave us kind of that date point in the last book where it intersects with Thrawn allegiances or alliances, whichever one Mm -hmm. Um, alliances. I don't think anyway, but, um, but yeah, the, he is, I, I think you're right, kind of just telling the story and not worrying so much about like the small details, which is kind of nice, I guess. Um, yeah. It is nice that they gave him also a little area to play in, but I do kind of wonder how much he can actually do, which I think is partially why he's focusing so inwards on like just politics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And kind of conversely, that's the same way I kind of see Outbound Flight with New Canon now as well. Where, like, reading Outbound Flight, I think, can give you a lot of context on what Zan kind of sees as happening, like, in the lead-up to this. Even Mm -hmm. if it got... I don't think it's very likely that they'll just, like, republish an edited version of Outbound Flight to canonify it. But you can kind of see that these are the events that have happened in the background. So if you're trying to think of what your own headcanon is for how the Outer Rim or how the Unknown Regions work, some of the galactic events then you can kind of look at it that way and get a broader understanding of this book from going to that one. Yeah, I'm wondering if we're going to get the up on flight name dropped in book three. Yeah, that'd, that'd be interesting. Because there a lot of it, a lot of the events and characters have been kind of mentioned here. And we actually, we, it's not something that's unique to here. This is kind of the biggest example of it, where we'll still get like character name drops or something or event name drops, and that kind of brings them in. Because uh, it's not like there's a, complete separation between content in one universe versus the other Mm -hmm. yeah uh yeah um were there any other let me just pull up my phone real quick so we got a question from informal geek about heart of the jedi we kind of talked about that at the start Mm -hmm. uh yeah so just asking thoughts on the book and whether we've heard anything about it so we did talk about that at the start are you gonna order a physical copy i don't know I'm trying to avoid spending any money right now, but it's, it's like in no way official, but it's it's kind yeah, of fun, I guess. Uh, Christopher Williams is asking. I became aware of the podcast about a month ago, and since then I've been binging nonstop. You two are pretty mm-hmm. entertaining with great comedy and plenty of knowledge and love of legends. Your episodes have helped me reread my legends library. I also found out about Corey through the podcast, so thanks Eck for introducing me to, me to another great Star Wars YouTuber. My question for the podcast is, if you had the ability to create a Star Wars Legends book with total creative freedom, what would you write and why? 
What would you I want? would want to see a book that doesn't have a single... or I want sub-five blasters and lightsaber snap hisses about Coruscant politics and Princess Leia and the New Republic and stuff like that. I think that'd be really cool. I would uh, I would write book one of Sword of the Jedi just so I could see what that what direction that was going in. I'm just I'm such a shit creative person that I don't, as far as storytelling goes, I I can't even begin to think of what I would want to write about. You just want to hear Jag's muscular body described again mm-hmm. by yourself. Yeah, that that's it. Okay, glad we. I don't know. I I tend to like the kind of broader view of everything. So when mm-hmm. it comes to like what specific area I would want to write in if I was an author. That's kind of harder for me to say. Why does I'd love like a new yet? essential guide to warfare. That'd be cool. Yeah. I, got, I'd be on. It's got to come that. at some point. Yeah. I just realized that one of the authors of the essential guide to warfare is under a pseudonym. Which one? Paul. You something. Erica Hart. Yeah. He follows me on Twitter as well, which I thought was kind of cool. But yeah, it's a pseudonym. I wonder who it is. Is it you? It's it's not me. Oh, god damn. I wish it were me. Uh, Sears asking again, do you think they'll ever let Zen reintroduce or use some of his other EU characters, namely Pelion, since he was already name-dropped, or Card, Mara, Gent, etc.? Gent, sure. Card, I mean, if, he, if maybe... Pelion, he was featured a little bit, but I don't know if I don't know if he's going to get to re- write any more Imperial era books. Um, yeah, I don't know if he'll he'll be interested in it as much. I don't know if uh, he'll be asked to do it. Maybe if uh, whatever happens with Thrawn and the Mandalorian is something that he's interested in, maybe they'd be on board for letting him do some sort of yeah. tie into that. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I don't think I don't think we're seeing Mara. Uh, at least I don't think we're seeing the name Mara come back. And no. the identifiable characteristics of Mara, probably not as much. No, I don't think so. Um, uh, hold on, let me pull, I'll pull up the next one. Sorry, I don't know why okay. I'm making you do this. Um, did we get? Okay, so we had. I think our next one is from Hans, right? Yes. Or no, we yeah, Hans. Um. Hans says, out of all Imperial warlords that appeared in Legends, do you think there was one that was kind of wasted? And, oh, yeah. I'm going to guess you're going to say Artist Kane is my guess. The one warlord you thought was wasted. Not mm-hmm. wasted space. Wasted is not used properly or not used enough. I don't know. I like Maybe some extra stories with, uh, with some of the warlords could have been nice, but... Could have been in more on Zinge. Like I mean, because he is he is the warlord, really. Yeah, we we got a fair amount of him though, and like I'm okay with Kane being kind of a background character because when he shows up and does anything, then it's kind of Dark Empire, and the story there is elsewhere. So mm-hmm. I like that we got what we did as kind of the background fleshing out information. I don't know that we needed to go super in depth on any of them uh, beyond what we got. So I'm kind of okay with. Yeah, there's not none that really come to mind for me. Um, yeah. Um, our next question is from Javier, who says he watched the video I did on the Mandator with help to Corey, by the way. Um, I'm trying to understand this question here. Um, I think he's asking why the Sith didn't try to instigate a civil war using these, because, because a Basically, I pointed out that the Mandator was built during the Rusan Reformation. The thing about that is the Mandator is built as a defensive ship. Like, it's got very poor hyperdrive, if any. Didn't have that many guns. Um, and there weren't really that many of them besides, like, Kuat was making them. But most shipyards were not. So there wasn't yeah. really enough enough firepower to tear the galaxy apart. Yeah, the question kind of is basically, the why couldn't they do that? So a lot of the planets that you're kind of talking about there, Kuat, whatever, they were kind of benefiting from the way... The Republic was going on like cool. What may not have been allowed to build like super massive, powerful ships that could go wherever, but they were mm. they weren't unhappy with the way things were set up. No. So they had no real impetus to to secede. But kind of that is if kind anything, of what they were probably happy because they were selling to systems rather than yeah you know some government contract where it's like they don't have much negotiating power. 
Yeah, and that everybody kind of, needs one. So. Yeah, they were allowed to handle their own stuff. There were limits on what they were able to do, but Kuat was still kind of the uh, kind of big fish in a small pond. And we do kind of see what you're talking about with planets getting upset on about the restrictions or the fact that it uh, that power is taken away from them with the Second Galactic Civil War, where Corellia, Bothui, they kind of want to build their own more powerful fleets, and they're told hey, no, we're going to stick with our centralized navy. So that's where the conflict comes and in. We're, and we're going to tax you. Yeah. Yeah. And by the time the the Clone War, like, Kuat wasn't competing with a centralized navy. They weren't being told what to do by a centralized navy until the Empire. And at that point, they were still kind of, they got to do whatever they wanted largely. So that's mm-hmm. generally why they wouldn't have been too rebellious at that point. Mm-hmm. I agree. And the final question is from Panos. I think we already kind of covered that just yeah. about um, not the clones. Is there anything you wanna anything you wanna end with? Um, uh, no, I think we kind of got the major points there. We will. Mm-hmm. So actually, we should maybe jump back to what we were talking about at the start with uh, episode sixty six. Oh, we yeah. have. Okay. Uh, so this is episode. What did I say? Sixty two. Sixty one. I think or sixty two. Uh, this is important to get exactly right. This is this is crucial. Okay. So this is episode sixty-one. Episode sixty-two will be Bad Batch. That leaves three episodes between now and when we do uh, Revenge of the Sith, right? Right. Okay. So, so Crystal Star, what can be next? Well, do we want to do uh, do we want to do Labyrinth of Evil before we get to Revenge of the Sith, or do we want to? Well, we probably should, I guess. And then we're going to need to do Dark Lord afterwards, right? Well, as long as we do it in the order, I don't think we need to do it immediately, but it probably right. would Because it sense. is Labyrinth of Evil's first, then Revenge of the Sith, then Dark, Dark Lord. Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So we should definitely do Labyrinth of Evil. Plus, it's pretty good. I haven't read it for a while. Yeah. Uh, so if we say... 452 pages. Nah, I'm out, dog. Uh-uh. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's an abridged audiobook. Well, I can't That almost that. certainly has one. I'm gonna check right now. Uh, oh this, man, one thing that's really funny about this audio audiobook is they just they give like um the it's the accents that uh they give people like like Arlani has like a like a stereotypical German accent. <laughs> she's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna try. She, like she sounds like. You ever see like Austin Powers? Um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, like the sound of the clowns, like that lady. Yeah. Um yeah, so she's got um she's got that accent. Um I'm just looking at now. Uh Thurfian's got like a gruff kind of like American accent. Some macro a lot of the chists have like southern accents, like kind of drawly, like it's very it's it's, <laughs> it's kinda it's kinda weird. Yeah. Jixtus had a cool voice. <laughs> so mysterious wow the funny thing about audiobooks is when there are certain times where um you're not supposed to as a reader know who a character is but like the the voice actor will have like an established voice for them so like there's uh, one example i think is um maybe what's it called um why am i forgetting the name of that book um tattooing ghost where you're like you're not supposed to know it's Han Solo, I think, or right away, but it's like he's using his Han Solo voice. <laughs> yeah. Also, one of the bridge crew sounds exact because it's, it's the same guy who does like a lot of the Star Wars Legends book. One of the bridge crew sounds exactly like his Han Solo from Legends. I'm like, oh my god, like that's Han Solo on the on the gunnery <laughs> station. He worked for Thrawn. Yeah. Uh, so. Assuming we're doing one episode per week for Bad Batch and then also doing a second episode for something else, we would have to do, if we wanted to do Labyrinth of Evil first, we would have to do Labyrinth of Evil next Thursday and then Revenge of the Sith Thursday after that, which I feel like is too many books too fast. Yeah, so what are we going to do? So I think next week we kind of just have to maybe do a Young Jedi Knight book 
then the week after that we do episode six or episode three four or sixty for episode 66 and then okay. we'll get to labyrinth because like everyone knows episode three right they're not gonna miss out on mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's anakin goes bad and he kills some kids like, yeah that's it that's it that's all there is uh i don't know I'm, let, let, let's talk about it off stream we, we might be able to make it work all right um we could maybe do it next week um that's a lot like labyrinth of evil it's gonna be a yeah. lot and like three weeks to be fair with, though we can yeah no you're right that is too much um three weeks with three 400 plus page books is a lot on top of everything else that we've got to do over the next week yeah what are we doing for because there's another bad batch on friday what are we doing about that there's another are episode we, on friday yeah oh so and then is it fridays and two like what's the it's just fridays after that it's just fridays after that okay yeah uh so we could just do another bad we could do two bad batch episodes in a row if you wanted so Um, well this thursday we'll talk about bad batch episode one uh do you want to do like the friday discussion or well we can't really do anything this weekend so we may as well just talk about it on tuesday or something because there's the tournament. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be super busy. So there, there's no way. Okay. All right, well, Unless let's, let's like talk off podcast. We'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. Um, Do you want to say read the next Young Jedi Knights book next Thursday? Yeah, sure. And, we'll, and maybe we'll we, can, we, can, we can also, if we don't have time, we can also work Bad Batch into that episode. Yeah. Cause I'm sure we'll have time to throw in a discussion episode sometime next week. It's just it's going to mm-hmm. be. You ready for the podcast like to ramp up, boys and girls? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I've got to get back to some videos. What's that? I have to get back to doing more data pad work. The start of the year was all mod shit. What a lazy slut. Um, we're going to need to try to get some... I've been talking about this. We need to get our, our audio set up, and we need to get like proper intro and outro music and stuff. We need to be professional. Fuck that. And guests and stuff. Who eh. wants to talk to us? No one wants to talk eh. to us. That's the problem. Well, the, the good thing is, with Bad Batch, it'll be much easier to have guests on, because yeah. it's a lot easier no to, to read get. a book. Yeah, because like Charlie, he can't read, but he he could watch the Bad Batch. Well, uh, Shaq was like he has no real interest in reading, but maybe he'd want to. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, Shaq would be a cool guest. We uh, Shaq, we could get. So I guess if we do this here, we're I know Harry publicly... Potter, like the Harry Potter. You know you Daniel wanted. Radcliffe? No, Harry Potter. Oh shit! Yeah, hmm. he's he's pretty old. He's what like forty five? No, wait. Yeah, yeah, he's he'd be no, he's not like, that not that old in his forties. Because isn't it ninety eight? That's like when the last book is. Yeah, that's true. So he's eighteen, twenty two. Yeah, he's in okay, his forties. His early forties. We'll <laughs> figure stuff out. This is the kind of plan that if we're a really old. professional podcast, he's we should old. be doing on the air. So we we just broke every podcast rule because we're the bad boys of Star Wars podcast. We're the only boys of Star Wars. Podcast. The bad boys, no good, other good boys. The authorities, it's everybody. The boy. I did say you were the goodest boy, so you Shut got very up. upset. All right, let's end that. Good night, everybody. Bye.